at how we become a part of the family of God. How we obey the gospel. And in so doing, in our obedience, and we'll look at that in a moment as well. But in our obedience, we become part of this great family. We've also looked at growing the church. The importance of evangelism to the growth of the body, the family. Uh, the church, the family of God, is not meant to remain as it is. You know, we, we have uh, what we're used to whenever we assemble together. We have those that sit in front of us and those that sit next to us. Um, maybe some, and depending on the size of, of your congregation, that maybe you don't know that well. Um, but we know the ones that are around us, but, but even in recognizing that, we should never look at that as this is it. This is our family. This is, uh, for instance, the Mars Hill family. No, that's not what God intended. God intended for the family to grow. He intends for us to take the gospel to the world. You see, the church cannot grow without the willingness of Christians to further its borders. Proclaiming the gospel in their homes, parents with their children, teaching the gospel, and even uh, husbands and wives encouraging one another. Um, God wants us to proclaim the gospel in our schools, in our workplaces, throughout our communities, throughout this nation, and ultimately throughout the world. Active Evangelistically minded members are necessary, excuse me, are necessary to the growth of this family. Today's lesson is entitled God's Family, and again, it is based off the song that, that we often sing, the song that we often find comfort in. We're going to be looking at those words uh, today and, and over the next couple of weeks, Lord willing. But the focus of this lesson is going to be the relationships of the church because we do have relationships with those around us with again those that sit in front of us those that sit beside us with those that we we see every Sunday and hopefully on other occasions as well uh, we're, we're looking at describing the body of Christ having a good understanding of what God intended in the family his family, the family that we often refer to as the family of God. We want to, to know what the family of God looks like from the inside. We, we, we kind of have an idea of what it looks like from the outside, uh, depending on where you come from, how you came into the church, how you became a member, uh, how you were converted, uh, how you were taught. We all have different ways, maybe, that, that we have been brought to an understanding of the gospel so that we can obey it and so that we can become a part of this family. But I want us to take a look at the inside of the church and what the church should look like from the inside. Uh, even from the outside looking in, we want to have a good idea of what that family should look like. And as we look at the details of this family and, and what we're looking at today especially, it may not be the case in every congregation. 
for instance, we're looking today at how the family is a loving family. And, and maybe you've been a part of a congregation that is maybe not so much a loving family as it should be. So maybe all of these details don't describe the congregation that you are a part of. And one of the first places that we look to change that is within ourselves, within me. What can I change in me to help have a better influence and in better, a better encouragement to those around me? So we want to, to understand that, that maybe the family today doesn't look like it should exactly. Maybe there are some things that we can improve on and should improve on. Uh, but that's certainly what we want to look at. Members of this family were meant to be close-knit, for instance, supportive and involved in each other's lives, as was the first century church in its establishment, Acts chapter 2. These relationships are what we strive for. may not be the case today, but it's something that we need to work toward in the future. So, as we look at, at the words of this song, again, we're going to look today at stanza 1, verse 1. And we're going to look at the words of, of that stanza. And we're going to try to apply them to our understanding of God's family. Today, we're going to look at how the family is a loving family. We're going to look at how it is a saved family. And last but not least, we're going to look at how this is a traveling family. And hopefully this will be encouraging. We look first at a loving family. A loving family. Stanza 1 and line 2 says this. Part of the family whose love knows no end. Part of the family whose love knows no end. We are a family, first of all, that is formed in love. Have you ever really thought about that? Let's look at a couple of scriptures. John 3, 16, one that we're all familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice the first few words there. For God so loved the world. John 15 and verse 13 that we read a moment ago. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Greater love has no one. Greater love has no one than Christ. He was speaking, I believe, in a sense of himself, of what was to come, his crucifixion. And we see the love of Christ in that he gave himself for us. That's the beginning of the family. You see, because Christ sacrificed himself, and because God was willing to give him as a sacrifice in love, this family comes together. This family is formed in love. The love of God, the love of Christ. Knowing what would become of the world, this plan was set in place. 
even from the very beginning. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, for your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Notice what it says here in verse 20 especially. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Notice verse 20, that he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That leads me to believe that, that God had this plan set in motion even from the creation of the world. We understand that God knows all, God sees all, um, he knows what is going to happen. And I believe that God knew exactly what would happen when he created the world. When he placed man in the world. He knew that there was going to come a time that his son was going to have to die. And so this plan was foreordained, so to speak, before the foundation of the world. That Christ would come, that he would give himself, that he would sacrifice his own blood for those who would become a part of this family. A family formed in love must also manifest or demonstrate love. Matthew 22, beginning with verse 34, here we find the greatest command. Matthew 22, beginning with verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So when we look at the greatest command, one of the, the greatest commands is, you have two, it's twofold, okay? That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But secondly, that we love one another, even as we love ourselves. You love yourself, don't you? We love self so much that you know, we're not going to allow anything, at least if we're in our right mind, we're not going to allow anything to harm us. We're going to, to take care of our bodies and make sure that, that, um, that, that we have everything that we need, that, that self is taken care of. And then in that same way, in that same way, we are to love one another, not to allow anything to, to harm the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters especially. Jesus' teaching and encouragement for love, we go back to John 15 for a moment. Let's pick up reading at verse 9. 
John 15 and verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love is very important to the family of God. We have an example of love and how it is exemplified in the church in Acts chapter 2 in its very beginning. Acts 2 beginning with verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Look at the, the description of love here. They had all things in common. They even went about selling possessions and goods, dividing them among themselves for the greater good uh, the physical needs of this newly formed family of Christians. And, and though this description may not be love in and of itself, it is certainly a result of their love one toward another. A couple of other commands that come to mind. Romans 12 and verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And honor, giving preference to one another. Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3. With all lowliness and gentleness. With all lowliness and gentleness. With long-suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. And the bond of peace. That describes the family of God. Kindly affectionate to one another. In brotherly love. In lowliness and gentleness, humility. Bearing with one another in love. And sometimes that means that we face difficult bridges, so to speak. Uh, difficulty in bridging the gap between one another. Uh, it means long-suffering. Just as it says here. Patience with one another. Uh, suffering long. Because sometimes it does involve suffering. And as we get into uh, further looking at the words of the song that we're looking at, we'll see that sometimes that does involve suffering. But even in, in that case, we still bear with one another in love. We are unified in love. It's very very important to us. But beyond being a loving family, let's look at how we are a saved family. And we've looked at this a little bit before, uh, but let's look at how we are a saved family. Stanza 1, line 1. We're part of the family that's been born again. And line 3 of that same stanza, for Jesus has saved us. And made us his own. We are saved 
in many ways and yet in one way. We are saved by God's grace. Romans 3 and verse 24. I'm going to list some verses here. We're not going to take the time to read them. If you want to, to jot these down or if you want me to give them to you later, just comment and I'll be glad to do that for you. But we are saved by God's grace. Romans 3 and verse 24. We are saved by Christ. Our belief in Him as the Son of God, our faith in Him, saves us. Acts 13 and verse 39. We are saved by Christ's blood. Romans 5 and verse 9. We are saved by Christ's authority and the authority that is found in His name. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. We are saved by our faith. Again, going back to our faith in Christ, but we are saved by faith. Romans 5 and verse 1. And we are saved by our works, according to James 2 and verse 24. Now, any one of these is not going to save us alone. We are not going to be saved simply by the grace of God. We're not going to be saved simply by our belief. Remember in James chapter 2 it says even the demons believed and trembled. But that didn't make them saved. And so each one of these things is important to our salvation. Each one of these things saves us as each one is brought together to work for our good. God's grace, our belief in Christ, our faith in Him, Christ's blood, Christ's authority, our faith, our works, all of these things have an important role in our salvation. One without the other leaves us lacking in what is necessary for our salvation. The word that is used in, in these scriptures is justif justification, justified. We are justified by these things. And justification, uh, salvation, they're all tied together. What was commanded of the Jews is commanded of us today. And so we know that, that the commands that they were given are the very commands that we need to obey, even in our day and time. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, following Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. When we are willing to obey the commands of the Lord to be saved according to these commands, we are born into this family of the saved. We are also taught the importance, however, of living faithfully for God. It begins with what is in the heart. Well, I guess you could take it back to God's grace. But as far as we are concerned and the things that are necessary in our lives for salvation, it begins with what is in the heart. 
when we are cut to the heart, hopefully we ask that same question that the Jews asked on the day of Pentecost. What shall we do? And being taught in Scripture what we shall do, we must also obey. Repent. We have to change our way of thinking, which changes our way of life. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Baptism is an, a necessary part of our salvation. It is important because it is what is commanded of us. It's not just an outward showing of an inward faith, but it is the very thing that brings us into Christ, according to, I believe it's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, or somewhere thereabouts. But we understand that, that it does save us, as long as it comes together with everything else. It's, it's faith, it's repentance, it's confession of that faith, baptism for the remission of sins, but then we must also continue to live faithfully. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 is a good example of that. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. We must also live faithfully. And finally, to close out our lesson, I want us to look at how we are a traveling family. We are a traveling family. What do I mean by that? Let's look at line 4 of stanza 1 of our song. Now we're part of the family that's on its way home. In order for us to be on our way home, we must be traveling, in a sense. What do you call home? What is home for you? Is it your house or, in my case, an apartment? Is it where you live, where you reside, where you can be found when you're not working or doing whatever else you may be doing? It is the place that you go home to every day. Is that what you call home? Maybe you call home where your spouse is. You know, we, we, we often refer to the heart. Um, the home is where the heart is, so to speak. And maybe your heart is in, in love with your spouse, and that's a good thing. Is that what you call home, wherever your spouse may be? It is it a place that you love more than any other, whether it be a place that you reside, or, or maybe it just it's somewhere else. Maybe it's somewhere in your memory. Maybe you've referred to home in recollection of the home that you were raised in with your parents, that, that, that part of your family. Where, what do you call home? The home of the Christian is nothing that we have ever imagined or experienced in this life. The home of the Christian is not about, first of all, physical possessions. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 6, and beginning with verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I think this gives very good reference to um, that saying again that we looked at a moment ago, the home is where the heart is. It is your home with physical possessions, whether it be a house, whether it be um, something that you own. Jesus says, do not 
lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. As he says in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The things of this earth can be taken away, they can be destroyed, but the things of heaven cannot. They are enduring forever. And that's where we should place our treasure, not in the things of the world. You know, even I, I think of this building, okay? Um, yesterday I, I had a, a visitor come by. Um, looking at the building, I, I actually in, invited her in and let her look at the auditorium. This building was built in 1923, uh, at least from my understanding of the history of it. I was nowhere near being around yet. But it was built in 1923, and, and as far as I know, the furniture in here, the pews, the pulpit, uh, a lot of this is original. Original flooring, um, everything for the most part in here is original. But one day, as long as this building has been standing, there will come a day when all of this is going to be gone. We, we, we place a lot of value. As far as the Mars Hill congregation, we have a lot of value here, a lot of good memories. Even from my time going back to 2006, I have a lot of good memories here. But all of this will be gone one day. This is not our treasure. As much of a, of a treasure it is, uh, of much sentimental value it may be to us, it'll be gone. Nothing that we have on earth remains. And so, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The home of the Christian is not about power and authority. Romans chapter 8, or Romans, Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. Mark 8 and verse 36. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It doesn't matter how much power and authority we may have in life. And all of us, I think, are looking for some control in our life. We want to have some control over the things that we do, over the things that we have. But no matter how much power and authority and how much control we have on this earth, it won't last. We can gain the whole world and still lose our soul. So again, we're, we're taught that this is not our home. Earth is not our home. The things that we possess is not our home. The control that we have over the things that we, we possess and the things that we do, this is not our home. Preparing his disciples for what was to come, uh, eventually his crucifixion, Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. John 14, beginning with verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also the home of the Christian is one that is prepared by God and it's not what we have on this earth even though these things have been created by God we've been given the things that we have because of God but God doesn't prepare a place for us on the earth 
because all of this is temporary. But we have a, a place prepared for us in heaven, in eternity. As Christians, we are not home. We are not home as we live on earth. But we seek greater in the presence of God in eternity. Uh, we see the faith of Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. Uh, a great list of individuals who were faithful throughout their lives. And in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity, opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. The city is prepared for us also. We too are strangers and pilgrims looking for a home in which we can abide forever. We often sing the song, This world is not my home. Oh, it's not. There's something much, much greater than anything we've ever imagined here on earth. A home in which we live and reside in the presence of God. Let's close by looking at Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Revelation 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Verse 7 he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and, and he shall be my son. The home in which we look forward to, it's all new. You know, there, there's just something about a new building, a new home. Um, there's something special about older buildings too. But sometimes you just like to be in something new. Sometimes I like to rearrange things just to be kind of new, even though it's old. There's something about the newness of heaven that we need to look forward to. No more crying, no more pain, no more tears. All things will have become new. And he who overcomes shall inherit all Things go back to the beginning of Revelation. We did a series about uh, the seven churches of Asia. And in each one of the letters that was written to the seven churches, he who overcomes, there were certain things that would be gained by, by he who overcomes. But unfortunately, 
some will not make it. Revelation 21 and verse 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Unfortunately, not everybody is going to be in heaven. Uh, from Matthew chapter 7, we, we are taught that, that actually the, the numbers of those in heaven in comparison with all those that have ever existed is going to be very few. So we have to prepare ourselves so that we can be in this place that is prepared for us, something that is completely new. We are traveling. We're, we're moving on. The, even the homes that we own are tents, so to speak, because we're not going to be there forever. We look forward to something very new, something that is indescribable, something greater than anything that we could ever imagine. We are a loving family. We are a loving family, or at least we are to be loving. A family formed in love, a family that is taught love, a family that exhibits love. We are to be a saved family. We are to recognize what is necessary for our salvation and continued faithfulness so that we will be among the saved in eternity. And we are a traveling family moving on from this place to somewhere far greater than anything that we could ever imagine. I look forward to looking at the next couple of stanzas with you in the next couple of weeks, Lord willing. And I hope that you'll be a part of, of this series with me. Um, if you, even if you aren't able to catch it live, come back and, and look for those lessons and, and they will be posted. Um, if you know someone that's not on Facebook, um, if you want to share these lessons with them, they can go to our website, www.marshill.com. C-O-C, MarsHillCOC.org. And I, I post the current lessons on the very front page. You don't only have to, to go any further than that. There are links to video and audio both. And so you can, can look for those lessons there. Uh, be sure to, to share them if you don't mind. Um, before we close out our time together, let's bow 